Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Ken Blanchard is one of the world's most influential leadership experts. I read his book many, many years ago when I was an undergrad at Wharton Business School and have been following his work since. He is a prominent, sought-after author, speaker, and business consultant. Dr. Blanchard is respected for his lifetime of groundbreaking research and thought leadership that has influenced the day-to-day management and leadership of people and companies throughout the world. In 2005, he was inducted into Amazon's Hall of Fame as one of the top 25 best-selling authors of all time. He is the co-author of more than 65 books, including that iconic The One Minute Manager, with combined sales of over 23 million copies in 47 languages. Languages. He and Randy Conley are also co-authors of their recent book, Simple Truths of Leadership. He is the co-founder of the Ken Blanchard Companies, a leading international training and consulting firm. In this episode, he whizzes through lessons from a 45-year-long history, and again, those 65 books, and shares some key insights, such as why you want to be a servant leader and how to know you actually are the first step to take when seeking to transform your culture, and why you should be focused on your employees before your customers. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Blanchard. Ken, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. It's great to have you here. It's my joy. Appreciate it, Glenn. So I asked this question of all our guests, just to get us to know you a little bit more personally, although you bring a lot of your personal work into your work, so our readers do know you, but if you could finish this sentence for me, if you really know me, you know that. Well, I think you know that I love what I do. I think life is a very special occasion and I don't want to miss much of it. That's for sure. (laughs) I love that. Life is a special occasion. I figured out many years ago that my mission in life is people loving what they do. So that means a lot for me to hear that from you. Now, I know your interests and expertise are so broad and a lot around organization and leadership. Certainly strategy is also part of that. So I asked this question of all my guests. And even though they're strategy experts, they never give me the same answer. So there's no right answer here. What's your definition of strategy? I think strategy is how you want to go about accomplishing the goals that you set. You set a goal, but if you don't have a strategy on how to get there, then you might be just having a goal on the wall, but no accomplishment. That makes a lot of sense. I see how that can apply. That's not just business strategy. That's all kinds of strategy. Can we just tell a little bit about your career? How did you become an entrepreneur? Well, I was a college professor for 10 years, and I went on a one-year sabbatical leave to California, and I ran into a group called the Young Presidents Organization, YPO, and you have to become the president of your company before you're 40 years old and have, at that time, I think 50 people working for you and at least 5 million in sales. One of my best friends from college had joined that, and he got me to give a seminar for 20 YPOers in San Francisco, and I did, and they got so excited that they got me invited to their university. They have these two or three universities a year. 
So I started doing stuff for YPO, and they said, well, what are you going to do at the end of the year? This was a one-year sabbatical leave. So I'm going back to the university, and they said, no, you're not. I said, what do you mean? They said, you're going to start your own company. I said, how are we going to do that? We can't even balance our own checkbook. You know? <laughs> and they said, we'll help you. And so I got a YPO from San Diego, one from Oregon, one from Illinois, one from Pennsylvania, one from Mexico City, all volunteered to be our advisor board, flew to San Diego, took us to Vic Braden's tennis camp. And we spent three days building a vision and a strategy for our company. And they stayed with us for years. So now this is our 42nd or 43rd year of business. And 25% of companies that start ever last that long. So they did a good job getting us going, but we couldn't even spell the word entrepreneur and now he is one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Just give us a sense of what was your business model then and what is it now? Like, how has that changed? The business model then was that we would do seminars. We would present materials to them and all. And then we got the one-minute manager going. And so we said, okay, well, we got books and learning materials. And then we started doing trainer for trainers programs where we train their people to do our stuff. And so it's really expanded. We have around 250 people working with us now and about 15 or 20 nations. And it's really kind of exciting to do this. Our goal is to help people create an environment where people excel and create a wonderful organization that people can be a part of. That's beautiful. That's worth being an entrepreneur for 45 years for. Can you tell us, I wouldn't say that you jump between topics, but they've evolved. And now you're writing a lot about servant leadership is what I've read from you recently. Could you tell us a little bit, what is servant leadership? Well, I tell you, when I talk to people initially about servant leadership, they think I'm talking about the inmates running the prison or trying to please everybody or some religious movement. They don't understand that there's really two parts of servant leadership. There's vision, direction, values and goals. And that's the leadership part of servant leadership because it focuses on the leadership is about getting things accomplished and living according to a set of values and all. And that's the responsibility of the hierarchy. It doesn't mean that you don't involve your people, but it's your responsibility. If they aren't clear on what they're being asked to do and what good behavior looks like, shame on you. And once that's clear, now you get to the servant part of servant leadership. And now philosophically, you turn the pyramid upside down and now you work for them. You're trying to get them to win. I was a college professor for 10 years, as I mentioned. And I was always in trouble because the first day of class, I always gave out the final examination. And the faculty would say to me, what are you? Are you confused? I said, no. Well, why are you handing out the final exam? I said, because that's what I want them to learn. And what I'm going to do over the semester is teach them the answers. So when they get to the final exam, they get A. Life's about getting A. It's not some stupid normal distribution curve. So <laughs> that's been my philosophy. I love that. And so what then, if we take that trail to servant leadership, what got you originally interested in leadership and how that impacts organizations and teams? Well, I really started when I was young. I went to a 95% Jewish elementary school, and then we merged in junior high with a 95% African-American elementary school. And so I won all the elections as the compromise candidate. I won the president of seventh grade. When I came home, my father eventually retired as an admiral in the Navy, and I was all pumped up. I'm the president of seventh grade. And my dad said, Ken, your leadership training begins today. Now that you're president, don't ever use your position because great leaders are great because people respect and trust them. He said, it's a myth in the military that it's my way or the highway. He said, sure, in battle, somebody's got to call the shots. But if you act like you're a big deal with your men, they will shoot you before the enemy. (laughs) (laughs) So how does that play out then in seventh grade or after? How does a leader know that they are not using their title and position? Well, when I became president in my first talk, my dad helped me. He said, I just want to tell you that with my leadership style, it's going to be about we rather than me. 
whatever we accomplish, we're going to do together. And it's not me. I don't need all the laudits and all the brains are not, you know, in my head. But one plus one is going to be a lot greater than two. You know, take a guy like the founder of Apple. You know, he was a brilliant guy, but wasn't much of a servant leader if you talk to people. And uh, the great servant leaders I have seen are, you know, the Nordstrom brothers and running the Nordstrom retail and the Wegman family running the Wegman grocery chain. Jimmy Blanchard running Sonovas, a financial services company, and Herb Kelleher and Colleen Barrett and all when they started Southwest Airlines and Disney, you know, and what they did were there. But the great companies all see their people as their number one customer. If you take care of your people and train and love on them and support them, they'll go out of your way to take care of your second most important customer, the people who use your products and services. And then they'll become a raving fan of your organization, become part of your sales force, and that takes care of your organization. A lot of people think the reason to be in business is to make profit. No, profit is the applause you get for creating a motivating environment for your people so they take good care of your customers. I love that. Was that your message in your book, Raving Fans? Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. So many of the listeners here, they maybe have a lot of influence, but it's informal influence. They don't have a lot of authority necessarily, right? Think of a typical chief strategy officer. They're doing the research. They're lining up the cannons. They're whispering in people's ears. They kind of know what's right. Do you have any advice for someone like that that maybe doesn't have a big team, but is a leader? My big advice to them, because I've seen some strategists and they'll come into the meeting, you know, and they want to make everybody think that they're the brightest cat in the room and all around than coming in and saying, let me just tell you what my research has showed and I want to share it with you. And then I'd like to talk to you about how you think this might be usable for that because without you, any of this strategy is really going to be useless. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that goes to one of the points in your book that I really liked, which was people who plan the battle rarely battle the plan. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's it. Because if you do it to people, they'll do it back to you, you know. But if you do it with them, then they're part of the team and they will go and do the battles that need to be done because they got a chance to be part of planning the battle. That's what, with this little book, we have 52 ways to become a servant leader and to build trust. And Randy Conley, who's my co-author, has worked with us for 25 years, but he's become a real national expert on trust. And so it's made sense for me because I think if you're going to be a servant leader, you're going to build trust because people are going to realize that it is about we, not you. And they're going to trust you that you're there for the good of the greatest number, not for yourself. Yeah. You have two parts of the book and one of them is just dedicated to building trust. Of the chapters you have in building trust, anything that jumps out at you that we should particularly be aware of? One of Randy's favorite ones is the opposite of trust is not distrust, it's control. Because when you trust somebody, what you're doing is you are sharing responsibility. You're not controlling them as much. And it's not about you let them do anything you want, because another part in there is that boundaries are really important. We say that a river without banks is a large puddle. And so what you really want to do is with your people to make sure that they know they're part of the team, but there also are some boundaries and all. But you are slowly turning over more responsibility to them. You're backing off on your control and letting them control as you move from directing to coaching to supporting to delegating in our SL2, which is our situational leadership model, you're moving from more control to less control and turning the ball over to them. 
Another question I haven't seen you explicitly write about. You probably have though. You've written 65 books. This is something that comes up a lot is transforming culture. Do you have any suggested first step or framework? How do you think about changing culture in an organization? First of all, you got to find out what it is and saying to the people, how are you feeling about our culture? Which is, what is culture? It's the patterns of behavior that we use and interact with each other to accomplish goals. How are you feeling about it? You know, is this a culture you want to brag about? And people say, oh, I don't know. Well, tell me what's good about our culture. Tell you what you think needs to be improved. Because I'm a firm believer is that you don't want to impact the culture from a top-down thing. You want to do it from a together philosophy. And so that's why you say, one of the things I want to do as a new leader here, I'd like to really take a look at our culture and see what's good, what isn't, and I'm going to need your help and what kind of changes do we want to make in the culture? Because I want this to become a place that nobody wants to leave. They really feel if I'm going to work, this is the kind of culture that I feel that I can maximize who I am, the betterment of the total company. What's something that you've changed your mind about Well, it's interesting. We rewrote the One Minute Manager a few years ago. And one of the changes that we made is that the third secret was the One Minute Reprimand. And as we looked at the original book, in many ways, it was kind of top down. The manager really was the one that set the goals and the manager decided who to praise and reprimand. And so we made it much more what people want nowadays, which is we call it side by side leadership. They don't want your job, but they want to be an important part of it. And when you do that, it's different. And so part of the change there is we changed the one minute reprimand to one minute redirects, which is much more of a participative kind of thing. It's again, that philosophy that we we've come to in the last number of years. It's about we, not me, because that's what servant leadership is all about. Yeah, you have that in your new book as well. Something about not reprimands, but redirects. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess the redirects can go both ways too, if you're open to feedback. Absolutely. Because that's one of the secrets we're talking about here. It's Rick Tate, who used to work closely with us. He said, feedback is the breakfast of champions. That what you want to say to your people is, you know, here's my intentions. Here's the way I'd like to lead and what I'd like us to do together. If we're not moving in that direction or we have a problem, I need your help. I need your feedback because feedback is the breakfast of the champions. And I'll also try to give you feedback when I think that you could be doing better. But to know that we're on each other's side, that the feedback is not what I would call seagull management. We know where you fly in, make a lot of noise and fly out. You know, it's how can we help? Yep. <laughs> Great. I love that. The metaphor. That's funny. What's something that you wish you had learned earlier? Maybe it's a piece of advice or a framework or rule or something that was particularly impactful and you wish you had heard it earlier. I think the thing that I've learned in the last decade or so, which I wish I knew earlier, was the power of the human ego. And we call ego, you know, edging God out or everything good outside. And I found, because I would say people wanted to be servant leaders and they were having trouble. And then when I would look at them and talk to their people, they had an ego problem. And one of two, one was false pride, where they had a more than philosophy. They acted like they were brighter than, smarter than and all. And then the other one, which was interesting, which people wouldn't have thought was an ego problem, but it is, which is fear or self-doubt when you have a less than philosophy, you know, and both of those you're focusing on yourself. And it's even interesting with the false pride thing, a guy that wrote the book, I'm okay, you're okay years ago, he said the worst life position was I'm okay, you're not. That's really covering up not okay feelings about yourself to people that had that life position. They give credit to C.S. Lewis and Rick Warren, and I even get some credit to say it. 
people with humility because humility is a thing that you need to overcome false pride. Don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less because a lot of times people think humility is a weakness rather than a strength. And all it really means is that I feel comfortable with who I am. Therefore, I can be comfortable in letting people be who they are. And together we can win. I love that. Yes. And you just step off that comparison of who's okay, who's not okay, who's better. It's off that dimension. So I've got so many questions, but I know we're reaching the top of our time with you. So just a couple more quick questions. What are you working on now? And what is the topic that you're most interested in? I'm really working on this simple truth now, but I'm also starting to work on a book with my son who's taken over the presidency of our company called Leadership Legacy. And the subtitle is, it's a family affair about what he's learned from me and what I've learned from him. And I enjoy that. And then I wrote a book with Wally Armstrong, who's a great PGA golf professional and teacher called The Mulligan. And they've just made a movie out of it. What? That's great. It's coming out the week of the Masters. And Pat Boone has got the lead role in the movie. And the feedback has just been fabulous. It's about golf and faith because Jesus is the greatest mulligan of all time. He keeps on giving us second chances, you know. We're having a lot of fun preparing and planning the release of that film. And the people who have seen it just say, wow, we got a thousand theaters that have already accepted it to show in their theaters. Wow, that's awesome. And it will be streamed as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like something I want to see with my kids. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. In addition to buying Simple Truths of Leadership, what are other ways that people can connect with you, learn from you, follow you, engage with you? They can go on KenBlanchard.com and find out about what we're doing with our company. And then we have a new website called KenBlanchardBooks.com. If you want to take a look at all the books that we've had, I also have a Lead Like Jesus ministry that they could go and look at that. It's not trying to convert everybody, but he was a pretty incredible leader. It took 12 incompetent guys and <laughs> yes, <laughs> made them yes. give their lives up for the mission. So I'm just having fun. And I think life is a very special occasion and I'm not going to miss my much of it. Well, we're glad that our occasion overlapped with yours. And thank you for all the work that you do for all of us. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Just a joy to be with you. Same here. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers. Outthinkers.